Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. I am Doris Hansen, and I am your host for Polygamy, What Love Is This? And we're certainly welcome uh, you to the show and are grateful that you're sharing part of your Thursday evening with us. We hope you enjoy what we've planned for you tonight. It's going to be a difficult subject, and so we also recommend if you have young children in the room, uh, you might want to ask them to leave during the content of this show because it can be quite sensitive. On March 5th, episode number 807, we did a show with guest Lynn Wilder on sexual abuse in the Mormon faith. And on that show, we discussed Deseret News articles and verified statistics and other personal stories regarding the high rate of sexual abuse in Utah. For instance, the rape in Utah is far above the national average. We discussed statistics from the Utah Department of Health that tells us that in Utah, uh, one out of three females will be sexually assaulted, where nationally it's one out of six females. That is double the rate. And in Utah, one out of five males will be sexual assault, sexually assaulted, where nationally one out of 33 males is that six times higher in Utah than nationally. So obviously Utah is a more dangerous environment for a child's sexual safety than anywhere else in the country. And then we also brought to your attention that from the Victims of Crime website, we reported that according to a 2003 National Institute of Justice report, and we're putting the link up on the screen, but it's a long link, and so you can go to our website, um, whatloveisthis.tv, and click show notes and get the entire link from uh, the, the uh, webpage. But uh, that that uh, report showed that three out of four adolescents who have been sexually assaulted were victimized by someone they knew well. From the Deseret News, we mentioned that in 2010, 30% of the prison population in Utah consisted of sex offenders, while nationally it's 12%. Tonight, Lynn Wilder is back. And we're going to explore this topic further and more examples and more personal stories of sexual abuse in the Mormon culture. And so to move on quickly, we have a lot to cover, lots to talk about. I would like to introduce again and welcome back our special guest, Lynn Wilder. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Doris. Glad to be here again. Glad to see you again. You're looking as beautiful as ever. And for those who might be watching who are not aware of your uh, book, would you please tell the, the audience about your book and where they could buy a copy? In 2003, um, a book was published that I'm the author of called Unveiling Grace. It is my story out of Mormonism to the God of love and grace. And they can buy it. You can buy it at <laughs> Barnes and Noble, or get it on Amazon, or go downtown to Lifeway uh, Christian Bookstore, or go to um, Utah Lighthouse Ministries mm -hmm. Bookstore. 
And they have a website they can order from utlm.org. I believe that they can get that from the, the website, Or too, you can so. get it on our website, which is unveilingmormonism.com. So there's a lot of places that people can go and get your book. And, and everybody who reads it absolutely loves the book and wants to buy more to give to people that they know. Now, the last show that we did on this topic precipitated some interesting remarks of denial from some of our viewers. We were even accused of making things up. But the worst was a written letter that we received, which we would like to read to you on the air. Lynn Wilder and the other female, I think that would be you, Doris. <laughs> Who are you people that you can sit there and spew out all this filthiness and rot? You are Satan's own. You will stand before the Savior one day. You are the kind that put him on the cross. That is true, by the way. Horrors, how awful and disgusting you each are. Sickening. And then her final statement wasn't... Well, it was too sickening to put on the air, actually. What, do you, what would you say to the, the person who wrote this letter to us? Well, in order to be fair, I actually went to the General Handbook of Instructions for the Mormon Church to see if sexual abuse is a concern of the church and whether it seems to be getting reported. And I found this interesting sentence. Repentance may include disclosure to government authorities. And I'm thinking, wow, that's great. You know, bishops are going to report. But then it says, if confidential information indicates that a member has violated the law of the land, comma, the bishop should urge him to clear the matter with the appropriate government authorities. In other words, the church is going to ask him to go to the authorities to take care of it. You know, the average pedophile has 150 to 175 victims. Wow. I doubt that they're going to report themselves. Yeah. They're not going to report themselves, but this is just the, the LDS Church just taking the burden off of themselves and putting it on uh, the abuser. Yes. That's what they're doing. But, and you know what? Uh, she didn't, whoever wrote this letter didn't like what we say, plus the other emails that we received. But we just skimmed the surface last time. Well, and I found it really interesting because I felt like I did what I always do. I'm a researcher. You know, we went and looked up statistics, and I was surprised at the statistics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is surprising. And we're only going to skim the surface tonight. We've got a lot more to talk about. And even at that, we're still just barely going to skim the surface. Now, the numbers and the statistics that we quoted are staggering, especially in the light of the fact that Utah is largely Mormon. A large percentage are also polygamous. And each group claim that they are God's kingdom on earth and yet within these all these groups sexual abuse thrives and as we get in tonight's show we want to first establish that sexuality is a huge part of the foundation of Mormonism which began with the doctrine of multiple female bed partners many early Mormon polygamous leaders took sexuality even further back into eternity past for example we have a quote from Orson Pratt we'd like to share we have now clearly shown that God, the Father, had a plurality of wives, one or more being in eternity, by whom he begat our spirits, as well as the spirit of Jesus, his firstborn. 
We also have proved most clearly that the son followed the example of his father and became the great bridegroom to whom king's daughters and many honorable wives were to be married. So Orson Pratt here clearly is saying that God the Father set the example for Jesus Christ in polygamy and he followed in his foot steps to have multiple sex partners. Now to apply this behavior to God of course is blasphemy and, 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 and but what is true is that boys born in polygamy groups will watch and follow their fathers as they model polygamy to their families. In fact most men in polygamy do not model healthy marriage relationships or healthy family and sibling relationships and the sons often do follow what they see their fathers doing and most of them do do not adequately, adequately respect women. Now we have, before we get started uh, in the depths of this, we have some books to give away tonight. Um, I think you wanted to offer to give away your books to, to those who would call. Yes, for anyone who calls in tonight, um, we will give you a free copy of Unveiling Grace so that you might know the God of love and grace. And your experience, it describes your experience in finding the truth in Jesus. And yes. And, and I also have some books to give away. We are going to be talking about sexual abuse and mostly females, but there are males who are have been sexually abused in the Mormon polygamous culture. We have a book entitled Give Her Wings. These were donated by Megan D. Cox. It's a wonderful book to read if you've been abused and you need some healing. We also have a a book, Free Yourself, Be Yourself. We have two of these to give away, and we have uh, four of these others uh, to give away. If you want to call in and request the book, we will give it to you. There, there. You don't have to uh, give us your name. You don't have to give us any details, just your address uh, to mail the book to you, and it will help you with your healing if you're still suffering under what's happened to you in the past with sexual abuse. Last time, Lynn, you brought up the Glenn Pace's report describing the LDS Church, uh, their admission that some disturbing ritualistic abuse had been taking place among some of the Mormon communities and the wards. Now, the article is on www.utlm.org. And um, would you kind of do a very quick review? And then we have a couple of quotes from that article as well. Um. Glenn Pace was at the time um, a counselor in the presiding bishopric, and he said that as many as 800 members of the church were involved in some kind of occult ritualistic stuff that was going on here in Utah, and that the church was quite concerned about it. In fact, even the government got involved. This is from a 1988 Salt Lake Tribune article. As many as 40 people in the same Lehigh neighborhood were implicated as child sex abusers by their own offspring and other children in the area, a therapist testified Tuesday. Dr. Barbara Snow, the principal therapist who broke an alleged widespread pattern of child sexual abuse centered in one ward of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, spent nearly six hours on the stand during the second day of the trial. And the Tribune also reported that uh, other parts of Utah might also be infested with these sex abuse rings. And I have a quote also. On January 13, 1988, the Salt Lake Tribune ran a story that indicated that sex abuse rings might be functioning in other parts of the state of Utah. A spokesman for the Utah Psychiatric Association has issued a startling message 
Organized child abuse is not a far-fetched notion. Adults and youths in organized groups or rings appear to be sexually abusing children in Utah. Dr. Paul L. Whitehead, public affairs representative for the association in Salt Lake City, said mental health professionals have identified clusters of sex abuse groups in several communities in the state. But so far, only one member of what they say is is such a group has been brought to trial and convicted. So out of the so many that there are, so few are actually discovered and mm. dealt with. And convicted, right. And one of those reasons is that children don't tell. They're, they're afraid to tell. Now we haven't made anything up about this ritualized sex abuse. We're, we're merely discussing what has already been established and published from public sources and LDS Church sources. Too bad there's not some research that is possible to be done in the polygamy groups because I'm sure that would even be more astounding. Both LDS members and polygamy group members deny the truth of sexual abuse. The members, like the letters I got that said this isn't happening, um, within their own organizations. And I'd also like to remind our viewers that the isolation of the children in polygamy makes them even mo more vulnerable uh, to the silent and the secret abuse that takes place than are the other uh, Utah children who we have proven has been vulnerable. Now we have, Lynn, we have a 36-page report of legal cases that's faced, that has faced the LDS Church since 2008. Well, another thing that really surprised me when I started researching was this was not an isolated thing that happened in the late 80s. This is something that's ongoing in the Mormon Church. And I was able to find these 36 pages of, of court cases that are probably within the last five years. But publicly available are all kinds of stories, dozens and dozens, mm -hmm. even even hundreds perhaps that you can find on the internet. And they're there. And often the case is that someone in the Mormon church knew that the pedophile was abusing but did not report it to government authorities and it, it didn't stop, it continued. And that's what basically what we're going to be talking tonight on this topic. A friend sent me a book after we did the last show, and it's called Paper Dolls. And it's Paper Dolls Healing from Sexual Abuse in Mormon Neighborhoods, written by April Daniels and Carol Scott. It was published in 1992, which is not very long after the Glenn Pace report came out right. on sexual abuse in the Mormon community. So this, this could easily have been part of, of all that was going on around that he reported on. It, the book chronicles the trauma of sexual abuse from individuals who have experienced the horrors of it. About this book, one reader suggested that it should be read by, and I quote, any person who has not yet confronted the reality of sexual abuse or denies it could happen in their family or their neighborhood. And sexual abuse bounds in some neighborhoods, many neighborhoods in the Mormon culture and in the polygamy culture, where too often people will turn a blind eye and the one who is abused is the one who's blamed for the abuse and the abuser continues to walk around free to abuse again. So, Lynn, we've both discussed this. What was your reaction when you first started reading this book? My reaction was physical. I felt sick. 
The first two nights that I read this book, I could not sleep. I was up all night with uh, the empathy, with the horror of reading about the details of what these victims went through. And this was a true story. And this was in a Mormon neighborhood. She says it's in Federal Heights. I'm not sure whether that is the neighborhood where it happened because she's changed the names of names the people. Names and location, she said. But um, there were multiple families on the same street involved. Mm -hmm. yeah. it, um, Several kids, multiple families yes. involved. Uh, and so we're going to go through some of the particular interesting and disturbing parts of the book. In the foreword of the book is a statement made by a medical doctor regarding sexual abuse of a child by his parents. And I quote, abuse of children by a parent with its blatant betrayal of trust is even more traumatizing than rape of a child by a stranger. Now, this is also true when the abuse is done by a religious leader. When they put their trust, it, you know, God is involved at that point. Yes, there's a book by Ann Salter called um, Predators, and it says that pedophiles actually hide in religious organizations on purpose for a couple of reasons. One is people are really trusting of them, and second, they have great access to kids. Mm-hmm. And you summarize, um, the, the Carol Scott and April Daniels, I think these are anonymous names also because they were involved in the abuse, mm -hmm. but uh, you have summarized Carol's epilogue. Would you kind of summarize that for the, our viewers? Uh, Carol's a psychologist. She says sexual abuse has far-reaching ramifications. So in the end, folks who have been sexually abused as adults often do alcohol food addictions, things like anorexia and bulimia. They have dysfunctional relationships, including dysfunctional sexual relationships. They often feel isolated, self-hatred, so you're looking at depression, possible suicide, and something called body memories can actually make parts of your body freeze up when memories come to them. The woman in the book had her hands freeze up because her father used to tie her hands or, or bind her hands when he sexually abused her. Um, sometimes they go into abusive marriages. They have debilitating panic attacks, um, night terrors, split personalities, and something called intractable PTSD, which means it's post-traumatic stress disorder that cannot be treated sometimes brain atrophy you can actually see on it um, and then one of the women in the book pulled out every eyelash and every hair on her head also drug abuse and institutionalization are common and there's sometimes the cutters I know of yes. uh, in the polygamy groups there's been people who cut because they have been abused um, as a child and so the people who are abusing these children are really doing a lot more damage than they would have any idea that they're doing we do hope this matters uh, to the people who are watching it's devastating they don't know how to deal with their pain so I guess they just turn it in on themselves and also we want to share Carol's prologue about this if you want to quote that Carol says this, close-knit Mormon neighborhoods provide a lot of access to children due to the trusting and communal nature of ward structure. Perhaps because of that, they are good environments for child abusers to thrive in. 
In addition to the close nature of the neighborhoods, denial can thrive within the wards. No one wants to believe that their fellow saints could be involved in such behavior. And that's a big problem. And that's, I think, one reason why it's such a huge problem in Utah, because there is such a structure of religion in the state. But as bad as it is, Jesus is the only hope. Um, Jesus, Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Turning to the Lord of the Bible, the God of grace and love, can um, begin the healing process. Mm -hmm. Definitely, and he, the, all through the Bible, he promises to deliver us when we call Amen. upon the name of the Lord. The victims' names, uh, like she mentioned, and the places in the book are fictitious in order to protect the names of the individuals who did not want to be identified. April Daniels is one of the authors, and of course it's a fictitious name, but she said uh, in the book that April's parents were described as being religious, mm -hmm. temple goers and always locked in their bedrooms. This bears witness that the cover of religion and those who live religious lives can be a cover some, for some very sensitive and abusive behavior that even close friends or neighbors would never even believe about them oh. or that they would be involved in. And these people had a little girl named April and her first memory is of her father abusing her sexually and breaking a glass shower door. These are horrendous things. So when she got to be eight, she was so excited because she was going to be washed clean. This is from the book. I'll never forget the Saturday I was baptized. I didn't want to play with anyone anymore. I didn't want to be unworthy of my baptism. Then it wouldn't count. I always knew what a bad girl I was, but now was my chance to be good. I was going to return to my Heavenly Father washed clean. I believed he was a priest because I saw him, <clears throat> she's talking about her abuser, one of her abusers, I saw him with the sacrament every Sunday in church. He said it was okay because he was a priest. I knew that my baptism wouldn't count anymore. I started to cry. The pipe echoed and he hissed at me to shut up. So I cried silently as he dot, dot, dot. You can see the pain. You can hear the pain in the story that she tells. Some of the consequences this children suffered the abuser, one of the abusers in the book, his name is, he's called Hank. Mm -hmm. Of course, again, it's a fictitious name. But initially, only six children came forward who had been uh, abused by Hank. Uh, eventually, there were as many as 19 children that came forward, and there were possibly many more. But on page 55, it says that of those 19 children, six of them were dead. Three of them were by suicides. Three of them were in institutions, in and out of institutions, five of them with eating disorders or drug abuse, and their parents agonizing over what went wrong, blaming themselves, and never finding any answers. So we see the perpetrators that were from Mormon wards and neighborhoods, the bishopric was not exempt, everyone trusted everyone else, and the abusers walked around with the priest, Mormon priesthood power of authority. 
and children in polygamy groups are much more isolated and they also have the the problem of of the priesthood authority and the male over the female you know patriarchy and and so they don't tell they can't tell they're afraid to tell and they're doing it in the name of God many times. Well, and they're all often threatened with things like death. Yes. <laughs> in this case, they um, killed animals in front of the children and mm -hmm. told them that would happen to them if they told anyone. Mm -hmm. This is from the book. The neighborhood parents held a meeting with the psychologist and talked about their helplessness, their rage, their alternatives, and their collapsing families. Lorraine heard about all of it. The police knew it all, but they were waiting for more from the kids before they charged anyone. <laughs> Hello? Yeah. The bishop said he didn't know what to do. These were good and righteous families being named. Hank was in the bishopric with him. Hank said the bishop um, had to call in higher authorities. So again, they're using God, the religion, as their cover-up for this abusive behavior and not getting on top of it before more children came forward, which, of course, made it so they could be abused even more. And, of course, that's particularly destructive for these children. And there was another piece in this particular story that added... Um, to why things kind of went so secret. This mother, this neighbor of Lorraine's, uh, the, the abuser, is a daughter of a general authority in the Mormon church, a daughter of one of the 12 apostles, in fact. Her husband is in the bishopric with Hank. So the two um, counselors in the bishopric were two of the abusers. Our children told about touching parties at her house, about what the dad did to his two little girls and to ours, while the mom gave out popsicles and cookies and took videos about how she used some of the junior Sunday school visual aids for backgrounds in the videos. She's a junior Sunday school chorister. She got double use out of the Easter bunnies and the posters that she had made. Oh, this is, this is getting pretty heavy stuff. And then April goes on to talk about uh, her first year beehive in the Young Women's uh, where they used a broken off flower petals to illustrate a girl losing her virtue. The first petal plucked off represented dating before she was 16. The second petal lost if she let a boy kiss her before she's 16. And then the third petal if the boy kissed her with an open mouth. If she lets a boy, a, a boy pet her then the fourth petal is taken off the flower and more and more petals are removed as she allows various virtue violations until one petal remains which is her virginity and if she loses that there's nothing left but a stump of a stem and this is what it says and I quote the beautiful flower is not even a flower anymore no one would ever want this flower for it has lost all its beauty now, April was in the seventh grade when she received this lesson, and sadly, she had been the object of sexual abuse for many years, for a long time. Now, imagine what this cruel and totally false lesson did to her already fragile mind, or her already broken body and her broken heart. And, and, and worse, she learned this from a Mormon class, and yet it was a Mormon priesthood holder who so horribly plucked off her petals. And again, I have to say what Lynn said, 
this isn't true. God is the healer. And, and if somebody abuses you, it isn't your petals that's been taken off. It's his that's been taken off. Did you want to share something there? In the book, the psychologist is the grandmother of some children who were abused in her neighborhood. And she wrote a letter to the stake president to make it very clear that this man was an abuser. I had four children who, after virtually living in true hell, finally told last January the actual nightmare that our perfect temple-going, family night, daily family prayers family was living. The father was a child abuser who, who had been sexually molesting my children for years. There is not a way to describe the agony my children have traversed. My children have told how Hank took them and one of my nieces to his mother's home and let her and other relatives molest these little children in many obscene ways, forcing them to have oral sex with each other and to watch as Hank had sexual intercourse with others, including his own mother. So they made it very clear to the stake president what the issues were. But guess what? Nothing ever happened in the church. He was never excommunicated. He was allowed to uh, have access to children. In fact, he ended up divorcing that woman and marrying another, and now he had step-little girls in his home. Um, why didn't anything ever happen in the church? I was really interested in this. It says in the book, that um, there was too much legal liability for the church to take disciplinary action. So does that mean if they excommunicate him, it's somehow an admission that they knew that he was a pedophile? Excommunication probably wouldn't do any good anyway, they said, except to warn his neighbors. Is that not enough? Oh, yes. Is that not Perhaps enough? the church is afraid of the publicity, Carol, the psychologist, said. And then she said, I have no right to judge. And as far as I know, she remains LDS, which I found really surprising. And she does have the right to judge. We have a right to judge evil behavior. That we absolutely do. And, 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 and uh, you know, in, in Christianity, which I love about biblical Christianity, is there are no religious superiors. Mm. We're all on an equal level, level before God, and there's no one above, has all this authority over others, especially male over female. But it seems like the church has a greater responsibility to protect its members from uh, this kind of behavior than to protect itself from these legal matters and cover-ups. And certainly to protect the, children protect the children and the next victims of the children. Like I said, the average pedophile has 150 to 175 victims. Some have a thousand, some have less. In the book, our family and church values reinforce this blindness. In our family, you held the marriage together at all costs. And in the church, not only do you support the family, but the father presides. Neighbors in good standing are worthy people, per se, people to be trusted, to share with you the roles of child rearing. Such attitudes make for secure and safe childhoods when the rules are obeyed. 
And you know, I do believe that the false doctrine of families are forever and eternal marriages helps to, to secure the, the quiet um, silence after abuse. And I have to say this about polygamy groups too. Um, you know, we've just been talking to basically the LDS Church because that's what this book is about. But it's worse in the polygamy groups. But they mm -hmm. still have the same families are forever. They're still sa the same eternal marriage. And there are children. I, there's more children in polygamy. There's plenty in the Mormon wards too. But in polygamy groups there's more. More women and more children. And an abuser can get in there and they, uh, they just run rampant with it. I've heard some horror stories from the polygamy groups. One of the stats we pulled out last time was that of the 400 kids that had been taken out of Warren Jeff's compound, 62% mm -hmm. of them had been, had been abused. 62%, that's pretty bad. Okay, uh, I have an email to share, but I don't think we've got time to do that right now because we've reached our, the midpoint of our show. So we're going to stop right here and open up our telephone lines. Uh, our telephone number is 801-973-8820, 973-TV20. And uh, give us a call if you have some comments. If you would like to call in and ask for Give Her Wings or Free Yourself, Be Yourself by Alan Wright. Or, or Unveiling Grace. Unveiling Grace. Give mm -hmm. us a call. If you want to talk on the air, fine. If not, just give the operator your uh, the mailing address to mail the book to you, and we will share our message with you right now. You are watching Polygamy. What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Yeah, Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. We've made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. While you are at our website, Make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And with Lynn Wilder, we have been discussing some uh, pretty uh, horrendous sexual abuse accounts, documented accounts in uh, the LDS Church. We've been talking about sexual abuse in the Mormon culture, which includes, of course, the polygamy groups. Uh, there have been, out of all of the people that I've ever talked with who have come out of polygamy groups, especially the women, um, uh, probably 95% of the women have had some kind of abuse uh, as they were growing up in the polygamy group. So it is rampant within the groups. Of course, they're more isolated, and so there are 
more vulnerable mm -hmm. to that. And they have some weird ideas, like uh, one father believed that any person that he took a vir uh, the virginity of, he would have as a wife in heaven, so he was quite active in taking virginity of people. But anyway, our phone lines are open. You call us 801-973-8820, 973-TV20. I would like to have a short notice here uh, for those who have been partnering with us and praying with us for a safe house. We have located a property that we are seriously considering. We would ask you to pray with us that God will supply our needs to purchase the property or otherwise make His perfect well, will perfectly clear. And for those who would wish to help procure this property for the ministry you can go to our web pages or email us for more information I was um, just thinking that there is there is a verse or two in Doctrine and Covenants 132 that gives you the idea that if you take a virgin mm -hmm. then she is yours and so ten uh, virgins I understand Warren Jeffs tended to take a lot even if they didn't eventually become his wives. Well, before his father died, who was very sick, 95 years old, he was grabbing uh, young women out of the group and marrying them to his father because he knew that his father couldn't sleep with them. He was too sick. And then after <laughs> his father died, he was able to take all those wives for himself. And again, that's something the Bible pro totally prohibits. Mm. I was going to read an email, and I would like to read it, and then we have some calls that we need to take. Mm -hmm. An email that talks about some of the problems that we have been discussing that's come from this book. And I quote the email. For the record, after watching your show tonight, this was a few weeks ago, a few months ago, as a young mainstream LDS girl, I was taught in 1968-69 that although the LDS church no longer practices polygamy, it is one of our requirements to be in the celestial kingdom. My daughter had a mainstream LDS girlfriend. They were both 16. She shared with my daughter and I that as a very young girl living in Salt Lake City, she had been molested by a neighbor boy in her ward. He was 19 years old. Her mother and another woman in the the ward decided for her and told her that she should just stay away from him now. They did not involve the police or the bishop because this young man had just received his mission call and they did not want to stop him from fulfilling his mission. He actually went and I shudder to think how that turned out. She was very distressed for years. I am sure you hear many such stories mm -hmm. and how sad it has to be that way. Thank you. So here they are protecting their image at all costs. Mm. especially the cost of the one who's been abused. What will it look like to others? What will other people think? You know, it's, it's selfish and it's phony. One of the interesting things the book pointed out is that women who have been abused and men who have been abused grow up and act out differently as a result of their abuse. This psychologist said that 90% of those who abuse are heterosexual males, and, and the majority of those have been abused themselves. The other 10% are women and gay men. Abused women grow up to be self-haters, not typically to be abusers. But men who have been abused often grow up then to abuse. And they, they're the aggressive, they turn aggressive. She yeah. said it's very rare for a man to be a sexual abuser who has not been abused himself. Wow, wow. 
Okay, well, we have some phone calls that, um, that we need to take. Again, we have these books available. Anybody who's been abused in a polygamy group or the LDS Church, give us a call, and we will give uh, these books away. They'll be very helpful in getting some, some um, healing. Okay, line one, we have an anonymous caller. Hello? Hi, Doris. You're on the I'm air. So I'm grateful to talk to you all. Um, this is a very tender subject, and so I have not talked a lot about it, but um, I want you to know that um, I was in music for many years, 40 years professionally, and I worked with a gentleman who was my piano player, who ultimately died of AIDS, and I would ask him about his past, and he was very reluctant to give me information about his past. But some of the things that he did say to me were that um, he was a return missionary when I started working with him. And um, he had uh, been sexually abused by a physician that was living within the Salt Lake area. His parents would drive him in from an outlying community. And his, his parents had no idea that this was going on. But he was coming in once a week to have treatments from this physician oh who was a very good Mormon and had been held very highly in the LDS church. And for a number of years, he was sexually abused by this urologist. And um, nothing ever came out about it until his, when he went to be interviewed for a mission where they were asking about his sexual activity. And this came out. And so at that time, he was never able to name this physician or anyone to me. He refused to to the end. Hmm. But this fellow was tried within a Mormon court of some type. And um, nothing more was done about that. And he ended up um, being in the church and going on a mission, and then um, he ultimately ended up with AIDS, and it was through these things that he was willing to talk to me about some of these things. Oh, it's good he has but someone as far as I know, yeah. that physician was never tried in any kind of a court of law. Wow. He was tried by a Mormon court, and nothing was ever done. And as far as I know, he remained practicing. And so um, I, you must understand this is very hard for me to discuss. We can see, we can tell from your voice that that's, um, it is difficult. But these things have gone on a long time. And I think that it, I, I'm grateful that you are discussing these most personal and private and painful issues. If it's not brought up in the open, it will continue to be hidden. And you know what? If you don't have anything to hide, you're not going to hide anything. And this stuff has been hidden and hidden for too long. It's time that, that it was talked about. And this is a problem in both the polygamous culture and the LDS culture. So it's it is. It is. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I must say that I'm so sorry that you're going off the air that we all can, you know, conveniently access. 
Well, and, we, um, hope you, that we hope you I'm can access that we all through still the have access to your programs because I think you are filled with truth. We are and going to. I'm so mm -hmm. grateful that you practice the Christian message. Thank you. Thanks Thank for calling. Thank you so much. Do you Thank have you. anything that you would like to say to about that? It just backs up what we've been talking about here. It's going on. I bet there are hundreds of those we and could hear. hiding it does not help it. Yeah. Just, they're not doing any favors to anyone by hiding it. And you know what? Another thing, you talk about Jesus healing, and he de definitely does heal, but God sees. And God sees all this that's going on, and I don't know what they think. Being in a religious organization, what they're thinking is about God seeing this, but He's not advocating it, and He's not condoning it. And I'm sure He's not happy with <laughs> That's it. for sure, yeah. that He sees it. Okay, line two, we have Kevin in West Jordan. Hello, Kevin. Yes, Doris. Hey, you know, on all of this, the thing with Hank and all these other things, what well, people have to understand what these Mormon wars need to understand is this is a crime. Bottom line, it's a crime, and it has to be dealt with, no matter how much it might embarrass you about, oh, this is going on in our ward or our church or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's a crime, and it needs to be stopped, and it needs to be stopped now. There's no trying to hide behind, oh, I can, we can't tell this because he holds the priesthood or any of this nonsense. That is a crime. Well, Kevin, what we would like to do is by doing shows like this is get people to understand what a crime it is and the hurt that's going on by, by keeping it hidden, that they would have the courage to come forward. Mm -hmm. And then when they do come forward, that the people that they talk to will let it come out and let the, the law and the law... Well, you know, that's, that's the first beginning to have the healing begin. You know, you have to come yeah. out and say, this happened. Yes. Denying doesn't help anything. What? It makes the situation worse. It extends it, extends the generations. It gets bigger. It doesn't get smaller. It gets worse. That's right. And the number one bottom line is this, this kind of stuff going on, it needs to be stopped. And it ha we need to stop the perpetrators, and we don't do that unless, unless there's... Well, they have, you've got to come forward and say, look, this is happening. We can't be putting our heads in the sand. That's right. That's right, Kevin. Okay. So thank you for calling, and alerting us all. <laughs> yeah, okay, thank okay, you. You bet, good night. Okay, our telephone lines are open. It looks like we have, well, maybe they're not open. They're filled up. Oh we my. don't have any calls right now, so we're still waiting for the, for the callers to come in. Uh, you know, I'd like to mention one thing here. Um, one Mormon man told me in a conversation that we had, and this was a few years ago, but I remember the conversation well. He was very much against our show and what we were talking about on the show. And, and he said that in, a, uh, the, that in the Bible that he had read that the man cannot commit adultery, only the woman can. Um, and, and he wanted to use words and get into the, the, all of it. And I says, well, what about David and Bathsheba? Uh, the Bible is very clear that that was adultery, and the Bible called it adultery. Um, and what about Joseph Smith taking, D David took Bathsheba, who was married to another man, and, and Joseph Smith took 11 women who were married to other men. Mm -hmm. It is adultery. And, and, and it just seems like that they want to cover themselves uh, in all this by using some kind of a religious facade like that was. Yes. The Bible's pretty clear about things not being secret, right? 
Yes, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that causes what the Bible um, calls a double-mindedness. You know, you're trying to live two lives, and you, you can't do it. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. Um, <clears throat> does the doctrine of polygamy feed into this abusive culture, into Mormonism as well as into the polygamy groups? And I have an email that shows that it definitely does, and I would like to share this email with you. It says, I wish to thank you for your show and your ministry. I want to share my entire story with you, but it would take too long. I joined the LDS Church when I was 15 years old against my father's wishes and later faced horrible heartbreak. It began five years ago when I found that my husband had serious moral transgressions, and my bishop counseled me that I had to forgive him and that it was my fault. I beat myself up on a daily basis because I could not feel the love and trust I had once felt towards my husband. I sought counseling and read everything I could about my husband's problem and my responsibility to help him. My study led me to research many early teachings of the LDS church leaders. I found that many teachings were actually giving counsel to people living in plural marriages. In the 27 years that I was a member of the LDS Church, I never knew the extent that polygamy was actually practiced. The day, <clears throat> pardon me, the day I read about Joseph Smith's polygamy, I became physically ill. I tried to discuss it with my husband, but to this day he believes it is a holy principle. He would live it if he was commanded to do so, and when I asked him, what if I don't want to live it, he simply shrugs his shoulders. So much for love and devotion to your spouse. I know that my husband's love and devotion is to the LDS Church and not to God. He would do absolutely anything his leaders asked him to do, regardless of what I thought. Here I am today, so disillusioned with love and marriage. I watch your show to help reaffirm to me that I am not crazy for feeling the way I do. A Mormon woman once said to me that God loves and takes care of the righteous men who love and follow Him by rewarding them with many wives. I fight every day to believe or convince myself that God loves me and that He loves women. I am so, so broken and lost. Oh my. He rewards righteous men with many wives. That's straight from Joseph Smith's mouth. Yeah. It's not healthy. We have a call from Robert in Evanston. Hello, Robert. Hello there. How you doing this evening? Fine, thank you. How are you? Oh, up here in Evanston, uh, doing pretty good. And uh, I do listen to your articles. And in fact, I record them too so I can really look at them. And uh, last week, I think I left an article with you. It's called Wine for the Lord. We did a show. Thing. Yes, Robert. We did, a show. we did two shows on that a couple of months ago. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I'm not going to read this thing. I'm just going to just tell you slightly about it. Why would the church leaders take and hide plague or conceal it? And sometime when you do have time, Look on your computer, Line for the Lord. It's an essay. It's, an, it's about that. And uh, I think you find it very interesting. It's eight pages long. I read the article, and we used that article when we, uh, when we did the show. We did two shows on it a couple of months ago on that very article. Oh, okay. Yes, I'm familiar with it. You can go online and read it. There's two shows called Lying for the Lord. 
And that goes back to basics of the early Mormon polygamy and how they lied and covered it up for so many years. Quite remarkable, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Very interesting. But that we talk a lot about it in the show, those shows. So you can find them online. Okay, the other question, just quick wise. How come the church goes to Smith in eighteen what was it, eighteen thirty five? I think in section one oh four stated that uh pregnancy was uh, uh against the laws of the church and all. Then they took it out and put section one thirty two in there to cover it up. Well, again, that's, that's history of the Doctrine and Covenants, and that's when Joseph Smith changed his view on monogamy to polygamy. And I, I don't think a lot of church members know that. We want to thank you for calling. We're getting to the end of the show, but I thank you for your call. And, and you kind of wanted to wind up our conversation tonight by talking about how Jesus heals these. And that's, that's what these talk about, how trusting in God can do the healing that is so needed in those who have been abused. I'd like to read for you what Jesus is beginning to do in the life of a child who was sexually abused. Um, who am I? As a child, I was my father's favorite. I know this to be true because he told me so, as did my mother. My role in the family was to keep everyone happy by meeting his needs. I was the bandage pacifier and the sacrificial lamb offered on the altar of a forever family. I was the superglue needed for peace and family unity. I have value because I'm doing my part in creating an eternal family and complying with God's command to honor and obey my parents. Who am I? I am my family's salvation. Who am I? I'm the thorn in my mother's side. In her own words, I'm the other woman who slept with her husband. I am the source of her anger and guilt, the recipient of her neglect. But I'm useful as a babysitter, a housekeeper, and as a distraction for my father while she serves in church callings. I believe she was Relief Society president. Who am I? I am a necessary evil. And now the year 2015, I, knelt by my I kneel by my bed and cry out, Father in heaven, for years I've been doing everything I know to do and I'm still so anxious and depressed. What am I missing? Just tell me, to which he gently replied, Come, follow me. But isn't that what I've been doing? Again, I hear the invitation, follow me. Who am I? I'm a broken, confused, lost, and lonely sheep in need of rescue. Hour by hour, day by day, I'm learning to trust God and His Word, the Bible. Little by little, the broken pieces are healing. Until today, I didn't know the truth of who I really am. Who am I? I am the beloved, Abba's child in whom Christ dwells and delights. And he is and healing. he loves so much. Amen. He loves you so very much. And he wants to heal you. I want to thank you, Lynn, for coming and for sharing this again tonight. It is a tough topic. 
but we need to talk about it. And no matter, we want to say no matter what your abuser has said, he does not speak for Jesus. Some of my closing comments are quotes from this book by Megan Cox on page 137. Jesus, she said, Jesus has was all about protecting women. In fact, the very divorce laws of the Old Testament are there for the protection of women. God does not want women to be abused. He does not want a woman to suffer at the hands of the one person who is supposed to protect her. No, God loves his girls. He does not demand that a woman be destroyed, like Joseph Smith said. He does not hold the constitution of marriage in higher regard than the safety of a human being. That isn't God's nature. He is with you. He never left you if you have given your life to him. He will never ever leave you even if you've made your bed in hell." End quote. Her mm. words are so true. God never expects us to obey the wishes of an abuser no matter who he is. No man is above woman and no woman is above man. Jesus died equally for all, male and female, and equal persons in his eyes in every way we are. It was man who thought up polygamy, not woman and not God. Polygamy cannot save anyone's soul. It is Jesus who calls believers from the grave, not a husband. And no matter what you've done or what's been done to you in the past, Jesus totally forgives and cleanses anyone who will come to him and leave behind their church and give him everything that it takes to follow Jesus alone. And that's when true healing really takes place. See you next time on Polygamy, What Love Is This? This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of the Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again. Thank you.